Hello, and welcome to another installment of Behind the Fourth Wall, a podcast where we discuss entertainment news and review movies, trailers, and TV shows. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at Chapter 2, The Tribes of Tatooine, of the new Disney Plus TV series, The Book of Boba Fett. My name is Ivan, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, the three-time All-Valley Karate Tournament King, Emmett. Yeah, I've never been afraid to sweep the leg. Exactly. See? <laughs> Whatever if my coaches tell me go for it, I'm going for it. <laughs> I'll be honest, man. I've been um I, I just got into watching Cobra Kai. Uh recently. Oh, no, not you. Uh, yeah, I, I, everybody's been telling me to give it a shot, so I'm I'm halfway through season 1 and I think it's it's all right. It's not the best thing ever, but um, you know, it's 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 a show. <laughs> I only ever really watched the first movie, and then I wasn't big on that franchise. I wasn't either. I'll be honest. Like I, I've seen all of them, but even the one with um, was it Hillary Swank? I always forget who the it's next million dollar baby. Be. <laughs> confusing that. I think I probably am. I'm betraying <laughs> this. Somebody who who was the next Karate Kid? Okay, now I, now I need to know. I don't remember. This was like a nothing franchise to me. But I'm glad they it's got its saying. own its following got a show. Good for them. Yeah, the show's fun. Um, it's just it's you know what's funny is because I I feel like uh, Funnier died to this sketch right about if Johnny Lawrence was the protagonist versus uh, it being uh, Ralph Macchio's character. Well, that was also big on like How I Met Your Mother as well, like Barney thinking that the hero was the villain. Right. In essence, this is as a consequence of How I Met Your Mother. Which it's is a funny bad. take on it. Yeah. It's not bad. I mean, it's one of those, like, popcorn shows, though. Like, so, I, I you know, definitely nothing any, no, like, riveting stuff here. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty good. If you're ever bored or <laughs> want to have something to watch on, on a Friday, uh, you know, it's a pretty cool show to watch. Well... You want something like high-octane action with not too much of substance there. Not not being critical here, I'm just saying, if it, you know, I know that's other people's cup of tea in there, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not bad. You heard it here, folks. I, first, Ivan thinks it's a dumb person's show. I mean, I didn't put it that way. <laughs> but That's how I heard it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's up to interpretation or whatnot, but, you know, but pivoting away from me, yeah, I heard you were recently giving Daredevil a shot. So how are you doing with that? Yeah, I mean, this is another show. I mean, I think a lot of people haven't watched it. I was a long, long time holdout because I thought it's not important to like the Marvel plot. But even if it's not important or it doesn't end up being important, this is a really good show that I uh, that I was sleeping on for a long time. I know. First it was Clone Wars, right? Then it was Daredevil. Maybe you gotta listen to me a little bit. More. <laughs> I'm just saying. But like, it's so much uh, more intense than like a regular Marvel show. It's a lot more gruesome with its fighting. The like political thriller aspect of it is a lot more intense than like what you would get with like a a movie like Captain America or something like that. It, it's pretty intense. The tone is definitely very different from the MCU, and I'm curious to see if uh, Kevin Feige is keeping the show in canon. I would assume so because he's using the same actors, right? But uh, you know, I don't know. Like they always like to do this like soft reboot. I think is the term that they use, mm-hmm. where they're like technically recanonizing certain things and other things they're not. We'll see. But I honestly like I think all three seasons of that show, uh, and maybe even that single season of Defenders on Netflix was was like peak. MCU uh, Netflix collaboration there. Yeah, I mean, if you got more of these that I should be aware of, let me know. Maybe just Defenders, because it kind of ties into Daredevil Season 3 a bit. Um, well, it, it does in a major way. I'm just not going to say anything about it. <laughs> just hey, just don't, know that... Hey, you know, don't spoil a show that's a, a few years old now, okay, Ivan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not down for watching the whole thing, just watch a summary of it on YouTube or something. But Defenders, right, I, That I can handle. Yeah, Defenders is key to understanding 
where things end up in season three in the beginning anyway. So anyway, enough, enough, uh, (laughs) enough TV talk. Let's talk TV. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, All right. What do you got? Uh, I guess before we get onto that, though, like just because, you know, we always have a little new segment here. Two really quick things to drop. Um, Moon Knight, which is, I guess, now going to be probably going to be the first MCU project that we see in 2022. Uh, Originally expected to drop in the spring. Uh, We're getting indications that it's probably going to be seeing an earlier release sometime in February. So we may be getting our first 2022 MCU project quicker than we thought. Is this Kit Harrington? No, this is uh, Oscar Isaac. There's too many nights. I know. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I mean, at least they didn't make uh, Richard Madden a knight in this one, right? <laughs> True. <Yeah. laughs> no chance of that now, unless the sun didn't do what we think it did to him. It might not have. <laughs> And then just the, the other tidbit of news I wanted to share is we, we've gotten a few more details on the Ahsoka series. Uh, this is one that I'm really hyped for. Uh, but we, you know, it's come, I guess, to public attention <laughs> that Rosario Dawson and uh, Natasha Bordizo will be headlining the series as Ahsoka, Tano, and uh, Sabine Wren. So Natasha Bordizo has been cast as Sabine Wren, and the show will be focusing on their search for Ezra and Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, I'm excited about this show. Ooh, you know, all right. I'm really excited. <laughs> so it's picking up the pieces, right, from the last uh, that we saw of uh, of Rebels. Yeah, this is like if you if you had a timeline of Rebels for like the quality of animation, it went from like no okay for animated to like really high quality and now it's going to be live action it's like this insane exponential improvements <laughs> for real and the the actor who played aladdin in the live action version of aladdin mina masood i think he's he's been speculated to to be playing the role of ezra oh okay yeah I, I think that would be a smart pick um not sure how credible that you know that that news is but apparently he's been teasing it on on his instagram page uh, and then quickly deleting those posts. So, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of reminds me of the Jamie Foxx Electro thing where he started kind of teasing certain elements of No Way Home and then promptly would delete them after he got a slap on the wrist or something. Yeah. Any word on Thrawn? I imagine um, it's the voice actor, right? So, uh, that's what I heard. I could be wrong, though. I don't know. I, I, I hope it is. I mean, there's nobody else that could really do the voice. There's, there's um, one guy. Who? I mean, it's Doctor Strange, right? Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he could. They sound so similar, and Benedict has like the body type of Thrawn. I was about to say, yeah, the the face, right? Like, I feel like he could everything he could definitely pull it off. Yeah, that would be interesting. It'd be a great casting, but I I do like rewarding the people who were the voice for the animated series to get to be the actor or actress. Yeah, I do too. I, I hope we do get a few because th- there's a couple of voice actors that are like, the, the, you know, phys- physical actors. I guess is that what you call it? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Freddie Prince Jr., who played um, Kanan, he might make an appearance through flashbacks. I feel like that would. Wait, make that was one. Freddie Prince Jr. That was Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, I, d- I didn't know either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't look at the credits. I really should. <laughs> it would surprise you. I mean. You know, it was—it surprised me that they got Forrest Whitaker to to come back and reprise right. his role in animation more than once at this point. Was the animation after Rogue One though? I want to say it was, or at least it it kind of had some cohesion and like overlap there. Um, yeah. Production-wise, I, I bet it overlapped. That's why they probably got that cameo in there because you know everything's recorded over at um you know. What do they call it? Um, Lucasfilm Ranch. So Skywalker Ranch, I think that's what they Skywalker call it. Skywalker Ranch, yeah. There you go. So it would make sense. I mean, the guy's already there doing ADR. You might as well, you know, pitch a few more lines. Here. Yeah. Right. Here's a that's a great thousand show, dollars. Because I was like, I, I don't need this to be live action. I just need to know what happens. So, like, I would have been fine with another animated season. But, hey, if you give me live action of that, I'm going to be really excited about that. Yeah, anything that uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have their hands in right now, I feel I feel safe. You know, I feel like it. You know, I'm I'm 
I'm looking forward to what they have to say and what they have to do with this universe. So, so they're still at the helm for this. They are, yeah. Okay, that's good. And it actually kind of makes me, um, you know, how many Mandos are going to be headlining a, sh- a show, right? Because we have Mandalorian, we have Boba Fett, and now Sabine Wren is one half of the main characters <laughs> on this show. So, like, we're seeing a lot of, like, Mando love here in live action. Well, I mean, it's just like it's a character that everyone likes just because they're so cool. So why not explore it? True, true, true. It's just, it, you know, just to some point, are we oversaturating it a little bit? I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much of it. I, I think that is something good to be aware of, but I don't think we're at that point yet. And who knows if Boba is going to be a limited series or not at this point, because it's way too early to tell. Right, right. All right, with that, that that completes my little news segment there. So let's let's get on with uh, Boba. Yeah, the book of Boba Fett, chapter two. You know what's interesting is that these titles are buried, right? So they're not like like that's why I was so thrown uh, last episode that we talked about Boba. Like I didn't know the title of it because they just call it chapter one on the like where you go to select the video. You have to actually like catch it on screen yeah i don't think they add these until about a day or so after the episode airs they start putting it up on disney plus because you're right you, if, if you don't catch the title slide you you blink and you miss it which is so interesting because like it, it is reading like a book now where you're just focusing on like okay chapter one chapter two but i i like the the titles of these so i don't know why they're hiding it they're doing something cool with it too because like each title seems to be at least referencing to like the theme or the lesson of the day kind of thing right like mando did that so although mandalorian titles are very on the nose right right like you'd have um and i'm just if if i recall correctly the the episode where ahsoka pops up is called the jedi so right. just it, a flat you know out it's coming yeah yeah but what what did you think of um you know, give me your spoiler-free thoughts, I guess, on on this episode. Where do you stand? I'm still really enjoying this. I mean, first off, this one bumps up to about 50 minutes, uh, maybe just under for like runtime, not counting credits. So, in like immediately, I'm so much happier than the 35 minutes that we got in the first week, because with these with these shows, they're they jam they jam pack these things, right? You're not uh, like that 30 minutes felt like a while. So getting a, like a 50 minute episode really feels like a, a lot more than that. And I think they're accomplishing so much storytelling wise in that it doesn't feel like it's kind of laboring some points. Um, we talked about it last week with like flashbacks being weaved in and we weren't sure where that was going. Um, I think that's not really a spoiler that obviously they're going to continue that trend. I think they're they have an interesting balance of it right now. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm loving the like percentages right now, um, where it's almost like they're they they put more importance on like the history of Boba Fett, but not even like the history history. It's like the middle of the timeline as opposed to what he's currently trying to do, um, which makes me think like this is all just going to get uh, intertwined together. So I, I don't think they would you know give us that much background story and then not have it mean anything sort of a thing. So I, I'm just, I'm just a fan again, you know, excited to see where they're going with it and not really knowing it's kind of like the first season of Mandalorian. Yeah. I'm on the same boat there with you. I feel like for me, I'm enjoying the pacing of the show. I think initially I was a little critical of the flashbacks kind of playing a bit of a larger role. Uh, and they are playing a larger role here in this episode because I feel like the meat of this episode is in those flashbacks. And my my only concern on it, and you, you touched on it a bit there, but I, I feel like at some point we may start running out of time right before we start ramping up the modern present day storyline. Yeah. And yeah. that storyline is what hooked me on the show initially. But to be honest with you, the Tuscan Raider stuff is interesting me a little bit more after this episode. That's not to say that the modern stuff is boring. It's just that I feel like we've only gotten the peak of it versus the Tuscan stuff, which, you know, we're taking a quick, like a deep dive into at this point. You know, what's also really interesting is that Mandalorian 
basically was on a different planet every single episode. And this show is proving, like, you can be on one planet and have a full season worth of storytelling. Like, that's how interesting the the Star Wars universe is. And especially a planet that, like, is so rich with history, obviously being the start of... Uh, of yeah, there's so much to tell with, with Tatooine. And I feel like, um, you know, it, it makes sense because obviously you're, you're dealing with Jabba's territory and all that. But some of the stuff that we, we get in this episode, like the from the action sequence, the big action sequence here, uh, and, you know, even some of, like, the cameos that pop up, it enriches the experience a bit. Um, and, let, you know, I can, we can probably just pivot into the spoiler section here, but I, I feel yeah. like there's there's a lot here. It's well-balanced, and, you know, to me, it just keeps... Uh, it, it keeps me as entertained as I was, like you said, when, when we were watching Mando Season 1 and Season 2. Yeah, so let's do that. Let's get into the, um, like, specific scenes that we want to talk about uh now so i feel like they kind of split it up into two plot lines right so the i I don't know how to pronounce it like the dynamo or whatever it is uh that timeline like the modern timeline like you were calling it versus the tuscan raider timeline of like between what would that be last jedi and or not last jedi geez uh return of the jedi and um mandalorian so do you want to start somewhere? Yeah, I think we, let's probably talk about the modern stuff first, because I feel like, um, you know, a little it, less interesting. <laughs> yeah. And it took up less time um, in this episode. We immediately, by the way, every time this dude steps into the back to tank, he just like goes back into his past. It seems like. Right. It is funny, though, that we are saying like maybe joking around, but also t- kind of telling the truth that like it is a little less interesting. And it's funny that you said like this is what drew us into this show is like we thought this would be really cool to follow what happens after Mandalorian. Now that he's got his ship back, he's got his armor. He's like not in anyone's debt, but it's slowly becoming like, okay, maybe I care less about that and like care about where he's been. Well, I feel like up to this point, at least in Canon, Boba Fett hasn't really had much of a personality, if anything. And this is kind of painting a different picture um, and I mentioned this in the last episode, but it, to me, it looked like fandom was a bit divided, at least from social media. And it's interesting to me because everybody's like, oh, he's not as badass as he was in Mando season two, or like, he's not ruthless. He's not a killer. I'm like, was it ever established that he was I, like, we know he was a reputable bounty hunter, but it doesn't, I, I feel like a lot of that stuff that fans have in their minds, it's stuff that you're, you know, we're like kind of filling in the gaps there. Whereas here we're finally getting to like the meat and bones of who this character really was right everyone just seemed to like project an image onto him and it's not it's funny that like none of the fans even really agree on what that image was like some see him as this like just a gunslinger some see him as a bounty hunter some see him as this like extremist and now you get this like new picture where it's like okay i mean maybe he was just like a, a victim of circumstances and he's not such a bad guy like bounty hunting in this world is not that bad of a profession it's like it's a job, right? I mean, we we used to have that in the Wild West, right? He's just a simple man trying to make his okay, way through the Okay, you can't universe. say that every episode here, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was good the first one, but you can't keep using that. <laughs> but this timeline does do that, right? Like, he's kind of cleared up all of his past debts, and it seems like a guy who just wants to, like, settle down it's almost like thanos after snap right like he just wants to settle down now then and relax a bit but still in a position of power um which is also like a really tough thing to do because you're gonna have to prove your strength to keep this throne yeah i feel like he's probably going through his like midlife crisis kind of phase too because he's he's like trying to reevaluate who he will who he was versus who he wants to be kind of thing yeah, it just is the the thing that's weird to me, and this is again what we were just talking about, like fans putting their uh, impressions of what he's supposed to be on him. But he just doesn't seem like the guy who belongs on the throne of anything. Like it seems like he can make his way across the universe a lot easier than doing than settling down and like trying to run an organization. Right, and I think that's the his motivation for wanting the throne is still to be kind of fleshed out. Um, and it might be 
where we're getting like that's the point that the Tuscan storyline is getting to, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like some of that requires a little bit more fleshing out. But yeah, I, I feel like this story though is my only concern is the episode note, like the number of episodes, because I feel like yeah, I we're down it. to seven. I know. We're, we're, what are we now? Like, um, we're, we're five away. We're right? two sevenths done. Yeah. <laughs> two Don't sevenths. ask me percentages. Yeah, we're, we're five away from the end, and so now, um, you know, I, look, I, I this, this episode gave us a, a really nice action sequence um, on, but I do hope we get to flesh out a little bit more, and I hope that by next week's episode, that interconnectivity between the past and present story starts to like mesh in together. Because I like I'm I'm invested in both stories. I just don't know where to put most of my focus on. You know, this feels like it's gonna be kind of like The Witcher or something like that, where you kind of have like a past and present timeline throughout each episode, and then eventually they're gonna kind of meet at one point. Um, which I think is going to be really cool when they do achieve that. But let's focus on the modern timeline and because there's not that much to talk about. But we do get to see kind of like two major players in that timeline. Uh, first off being the mayor, who refused to come to pay tribute in the first episode. Uh, this isn't a character we've seen before, right? I mean, this no, is like a species not. we have, but not... No, and I, I didn't even notice, or I don't think there was ever a reference to a mayor in Mos Espa before. So, yeah, I think they they get the freedom here to like kind of make up a few official titles or leaders of groups. Um, but what are your vibes off of this mayor? Like, is this going to be trouble in the future, or is this going to be uh, kind of a nobody, like a non-player, maybe a red herring? Well, this whole the whole modern thing, right? Like it it, it focused on who hired the 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 uh, bounty hunters no sorry the assassins from assassins, the last yeah. episode um and after questioning the guy and you know giving him like a fake out with the the, the, rank, rancor. the rancor pit yeah. <laughs> i was hoping a baby rancor was coming out i i was hoping for it too but either a they don't have the budget for it to explosion no, on it too much or they're like you know what we'll just like play it for jokes which it kind of ended up being both but um, I, I kind of think that the mayor was kind of set up for this. Like, I don't think he legitimately went after Boba. Um, I think all of this has to do with the, um, the, the huts, the, the, the hut twins that we get to see later in this episode. But the mayor to me strikes as somebody who's definitely kind of shady. Like I wouldn't trust him, but I don't think he's necessarily the guy behind the assassination attempt. I think it might be as plain as it seems. I think he's probably just like testing, you know, is Boba like actually a, a credible adversary adversary or is this like, like, do I need to put more time and effort into this? And then am I going to have to form an alliance or whatever? Because um, I could easily see the mayor partnering up with the huts. Yeah, they probably had a deal on the side or something, or, or he might have seen like the tides change already before because. I don't know how long, I guess, Bib Fortuna was on the throne, right, before he got killed uh, in that end credit sequence of season two. Yeah. Um, so who knows? But yeah, I don't know. To me, it kind of seems like he's, it might not, the answer might not be as clear as him being the one to pull off that hit. Right, but the mayor also, like, knew to send Boba to the bar where Boba would learn about the huts coming. So it's it seems like this guy's in the know-how and really well connected in a dangerous way. Right. Maybe it was Jennifer Beale's character, the, the Twilight girl, um, the one that runs the bar, that bar. Yeah, but then that obviously brings us to the huts. So these are relatives of Jabba, I guess? They said they're uh, the niece and nephew, right, of, of Jabba? Or maybe I'm just projecting my own <laughs> assumptions on it, but I, I could have sworn that they did have that family tie there. Yeah, they might have said that. I only saw this. I only watched it once, so that'll be for a rewatch. But either way, interesting characters here. Um, we haven't seen them in animated series either, so it's it's cool to see that we're kind of, you know, bringing on familiar faces, but then also bringing in new ones as well. I'm still like. How how does anybody take orders from the huts? They move at such slow pace. Like I'm not sure what their intimidation <laughs> comes into play here. 
yeah, it's just that like these guys seem like they could be really easy to take out. And then it's it that's like what's always been curious to me about like having these big leaders of crews is like I get Kingpin in in Daredevil, right? Like he can actually fight and you know, he he's he's a big presence. But these guys are like they're being carried around and they're slow as heck. Yeah, I think back to Sopranos, and I'm like, I think it's just kind of like the stereotype kind of look, I guess, of crime bosses that they were going for with Jabba the Hutt's design. But they do bring somebody with them um, who could be a familiar face, but we definitely haven't seen before the champion that they brought with them. Yeah, they brought, we saw the debut of um, Black Chrysanthemum, um, who is a Wookiee. Um, Blackford Wookiee, uh, bounty hunter from the comics. This isn't anything that I'm too familiar with, other than I've seen him on covers of the new like Marvel comic stuff for, for Star Wars in the last couple of years. I'm not at all familiar with his character, other than the fact that he's new, and, and he seems to be tied to another very big popular uh, new comic book character. Uh, I, think, I think her name is Dr. Afra or something like that. But I mean, He looks tough. He does. He's supposed to be like cybernetic or something, and he had like some confrontation with Obi Wan. That's about the extent that I know <laughs> of who this guy is. So this is the first time you've been stumped, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I, I visually I know who this guy is, but like, I, I, you know, I, I was into the comics back when like uh, Dark Horse was the. Uh, oh yeah! Don't get me started on Dark. Comics. That was the best. <laughs> that, that was the best time to be a comic book reader for Star Wars. Um, no, but like, I, I, those are the only comics that I can recall. It's like, this is before the Disney sale. So anything after the Disney sale, I I probably have seen it visually, but I have no idea what the background is on any of these characters. But yeah, so I guess the Huts. I mean, th- there's really not that much more talk to talk about in this modern timeline. It's just that they basically said like, okay, fine, you can keep it for now, but careful, like sleep lightly because you'll never know what's around the corner kind of thing right he's got to unite the families against them or basically just kind of like stake his claim and and legitimize it because ultimately Jabba's um, family seems to have more pull Uh, and I guess rightfully so right because like I feel like that's kind of what it comes down to in the dynamics of uh, you know gang bosses and even like royalty i guess here but i mean i guess it depends like this is kind of like a game of thrones type of thing where it's like well who has the claim is it the family who was previously sitting on the throne or is it who the usurper right so it's like that's kind of what we're looking at here um but it it is interesting that boba's gonna have to prove himself worthy of the throne and it seems like the only way to do that on tatooine is to you know kind of give into that uh you're willing to torture or show power in ways that like he doesn't really want to. Or, or, or alternatively, he can claim that he's related to Jabba out of some incestuous relationship from a couple centuries ago that his family then got involved when years prior to his birth. I mean, <laughs> you know, who knows? <laughs> just, or something. Just throwing an idea out there, you know. <laughs> yeah, that that idea is going to get you in the rancor pit. Okay. <laughs> well, it's empty. So go ahead, sir. <laughs> Throw me in there. <laughs> um, so let's get let's get to the other timeline that we kind of like weave in and out of uh, throughout this episode of the Tuscan Raiders uh, and his relationship after getting out of the Sarlacc pit. Yeah, we see him fleshing out or establishing himself more as a, a pivotal key character here with the Tuskens. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a very interesting scene with uh, what might be, at least in live action, our first train in Star Wars, right? Because we've seen some trains in Clone Wars and, and in animation in general. But what about the one in Solo? Oh, you're right. Wow, I forgot about that one. You may have comic book knowledge, but I got movie memory, okay? <laughs> Look at you. You know what? When when COVID's done, we you and I gotta hit up a bar with Star Wars trivia. Oh and man, we'll, yeah. we'll we'll dominate as long as they have you know Dark Horse comics questions here. I got you. <laughs> I got you. 
but no, the, this is like the first one that's like not on a rail, right? So this is definitely new tech that we get to see. Um, but yeah, even before that, it's just that the the ending of the previous episode was he gains a little bit of respect, and now it seems like he's he's gotten a lot of trust uh, because they're showing him the ways of being a Tuscan Raider by like teaching him how to fight or like just teaching him how to be part of like their community that they have. And then this in this sequence, um, the Tuscan Raiders get essentially through, you know through their land um, comes this train that I guess is transporting spice, which mm-hmm. we later find out is uh, braided by the Pikes who. I guess make their live action debut here. I know we've seen them in Solo before, but I don't think we've seen them in other movies. I don't think so either. But we get to see the loss of many Tuscans with that. Um, almost yeah. kind of cruelly, right? Because like, the train could easily just speed out and not have to cause too much trouble. But they almost deliberately kind of slow down and you know shoot at these Tuscans that are just you know basking in the sun there. It was kind of mean. Well, yeah. You know what's interesting is that... Um... Around the campfire, the like, I guess the chief of the Tuscans is talking to Boba, and basically says like there were a lot of different uh, tribes, and that's why this episode is called like the tribes of Tatooine, um, and basically described that they all kind of descended into their own way of surviving. So some like them are warriors, but only ever for like war. Others are you know these these like I guess more like a villain right the ones that like anakin uh, encountered that'll just like raid and pillage and and kill and take you know hostages uh others were like i guess just kind of you know descended into this sand like into the sands so it, i'm sure the the like the pikes had ex- run-ins with different tribes and saw okay some of these guys are violent if they look alike just shoot at them it reminds me almost like a parallel between the uh, conflicts of um you know like the early day americans and and the native tribes of of the land just because we had different relationships with each tribe right so there were some that actively you know try to be cooperative and and you know try to like integrate themselves um with the early settlers there's others that you know adamantly were like no this is our land and then there were others that just outright were even at conflict with the other tribes. So I feel like that complexity is almost what's getting um, layered in here, almost as like a parallel. No, without a doubt. Um, so not that I'm justifying the Pike's actions, but just like that's probably what was going on. It's not that they were just like, ah, eh, we're just shooting to shoot. Like, because yes, they could have just outrun them, but um, they clearly had experiences in the past. Yeah, and I feel like they're. You know, again, it's the same parallel to real world scenarios here where there's a generalization of it. So they're just being like, oh, we had one run in with this tribe. They're all obviously the same in in their minds. So it it was definitely an interesting thing to see it from the Tuscans point of view, right? Because every time we've seen Tuscan Raiders in Star Wars, whether it be the Boonta Eve pod race and Phantom Menace, (laughs) right? Where they're shooting down the, the, uh, the pod racers. And it's all because they're in, they're, in their mind they're justified right like that's it's in our lands yeah yeah so but it was just interesting to see that loss on their end because every time we'd see tuscans bite it i guess in in the in the movies we don't really linger on that at all we we are as the audience kind of invited to see them the way the protagonists do um and over here it's very different yeah the show definitely is like humanizing their uh their their side of the story and it does make you like i saw some people on like on the trending uh hashtags or whatever were talking about like oh it makes you think like anakin was even worse like what he did it's like well he had a different tribe that he was encountering but uh yeah like you do see from a different perspective now right you know i I think his actions were still awful regardless but it's still like you know at the end of the day there's a layer of complexity that you can add onto there now. Like maybe not all of those Tuscans were of that. Maybe it was just the leadership, you know, whatever. But between Mandalorian and this series, we've been humanizing the the Tuscans quite a bit. Because uh, I still recall like uh, season one and season two of Mandalorian, we had Mando having that extensive um, knowledge. Conversation. Yeah. Right. And he knew well enough to, you know, 
I guess use sign language to to interact with them. Mm -hmm. But he seems to know a lot of their culture too. So I'm actually curious to see where how he um, stumbled upon that, or maybe it's just a Mandalorian thing, right? Like you're less you know less hostile towards foreign ideas. Yeah, maybe. Um, but what did you think about like the plan for stopping the train with the learning how to use the speeder bikes and all that? I thought it was kind of a funny sequence. <laughs> um, but I, I did like that, you know, they, they trusted Boba enough for him to go and, you know, go basically set him free and go and come back with those speeder bikes, uh, which gave us a really cool little sequence at Tashi Station, which, uh, you know, has been referenced in the original trilogy a couple of times. And we finally got our debut of two characters that were cut from the original cut of The New Hope. Which were Luke's friends, Carney and Fix uh, sorry, Cammy and Fixer. I don't know, so quick quick like, little side note here, but like originally a new hope was supposed to start with Luke and those two characters uh looking up at the Princess Leia's uh, ship being bombarded by the Imperial Star Destroyer over Tatooine. That was the original intro and that was cut from A New Hope. And those two characters have always had this little like um fan following within the star wars community so it was cool to see them easter egged here they weren't at all significant right they just kind of slotted them in but to kind of tie them back to tashi station i thought was really neat um it could have been other characters and all that you know stuff fine but uh every time that Fabro and feloni do that i feel like it's a really cool little nod to the fans um and it, it did give us a really cool action sequence where boba basically mopped the floor with uh the Sons of Anarchy version of, of, of Star Wars there. And just like that, Ivan's back on his his Easter egg knowledge. Hey, I got to call it when I see it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, that's a, that's a cool uh, tidbit. I didn't know that. Yeah, you could you could actually see the deleted scene on YouTube. It's actually somewhere the original intro for A New Hope. It's really cool. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, I did like the, the bar fight there. You get to see... Boba using like some of the techniques that he's starting to learn, which obviously he has like perfected by the time of Mandalorian. So that's a good tie-in to be like, how did he get so good uh, using the what's it called? The it's not a Banta stick, is it? The Gaffy stick. Gaffy stick. That's it. Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Um, I thought it was really you know the scene where he's teaching them how to ride and all that was was pretty funny. Um, and then also like kind of showed you, I guess he must have spent a couple of days, right? Like because the they they showed like a little bit of a montage there to to right up to the point where the train's coming through the second time. Yeah, it does also kind of remind me a little bit of the Mandalorian season, the episode where they teach like the villagers to fight back, right? Well, yeah, that's right against the crate dragon. The, fish, the fishing, no, the uh, the fishing village to fight back against like that gang that was there as well. Oh yeah, the one that had the uh, the ATSTs. Those were also Nyctos as well. Um, the alien species, the ones with the little horns on on their faces. Um, are are we typecasting Nyctos in Star Wars? Are they all like in a gang of some sort? <laughs> Maybe, uh, but I do like the you know the ongoing theme of kind of like what you were talking about um, before, where it's you know the indigenous persons haven't really advanced their technology because they haven't needed to. And then off-worlders, as they call them here, come in with, you know, higher tech machines, and it's really hard to, you know, repel that. And, you know, Boba gives them an opportunity now to say, like, okay, now you have weapons. Now you have, uh, you're on an even playing field. So, and you know the environment better than they can ever know it. So it is a nice theme that they constantly, like, repeat here in this, in Mandalorian, and throughout all of Star Wars, really. Yeah, we're definitely getting a lot more of that um, within, like, current modern Star Wars storytelling here. Um, the tr the actual train sequence, the from the chase to the point that they both get on, or the Tuscans and, and Boba get onto the train, um, that was all really cool, and something that I, I could easily see have fit into a one of the live-action Star Wars uh, movies. I always feel like whenever they include this kind of action sequence, it just further legitimizes just how much we can do 
on the Disney Plus scale, right? Because like I don't see this any less than I would see a a Star Wars movie. I feel like they're really giving the, the they're all and they're smartly investing their dollars into these action pieces to make you really appreciate the quality that you're getting. That was my exact same thought too when I was watching it. I was like, man, if only the the recent trilogy was like a fraction of this good. Like maybe it was a fraction. But <laughs> like <laughs> if we got anything kind of like this, like not just being like well thought out, but the having the action sequences be so much better than a low like a high speed, low speed star cruiser ship chase, like we would have been very satisfied. And obviously we know Boba survives, right, those sequences, but I I felt for the Tuscans that were getting offed during this um during this whole sequence. <laughs> yeah, they were cannon fodder. <laughs> yeah, but the, the stakes were high and you felt it. You were kind of at the edge of your seat as this as, as this whole sequence is kind of playing out. Well, especially uh, since like you build some bonds with some of them, like his mentor who is teaching him how to fight. Like you don't know if that person's surviving. I love that. I I love his mentor, the female Tuscan Raider that's kind of showing him the ropes with that. Yeah. We can call her Tuscan Batty, number one. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be her nickname. <laughs> Will we get a face reveal? Stay tuned. I feel like we won't. Probably not. We can always speculate. It's it's Amelia Clark under those ropes. Let's just say that. <laughs> Undercover. Yeah. <literally. laughs> um. But yeah, like I I. I really liked that whole sequence. Um, even the droid. They had a little bit of humor with the droid that I thought really worked. It was like kind of classic Star Wars humor there. Yeah, droids, droids have to be funny. Especially this one. This one had this little like um, almost General Grievous like walk away at the end there. Yeah, I, I really liked that whole train sequence. I was really impressed by it. That, you know, not only that they can do like think of something like this or, or execute it, but they're doing it in a TV show like this this is like movie quality that I would expect, like a movie budget. It is. And, you know, I, I continue to be surprised as to how much they can give us at, you know, on this platform. Um, but, you know, hopefully they keep delivering this kind of thing week over week and, and we get to see more of it. Uh, one thing to kind of point out, you know, we touched on, you know, the train was um, operated by the Pikes, but we get to see Boba essentially demand terms, right, for the Tuscans. Uh, so now the Pikes or anybody coming through the Dune Sea will have to pay some sort of tribute to the tribe. I wonder, and you and I kind of speculated about this, right? And if you don't mind, I think we could probably get to the end and, and the speculation part here because they kind of tie in yeah. together. You and I have two different predictions as to what we think is about to happen or is going to happen. Um, you have a more optimistic feel of what you know the relationship between Boba and the tribe ends up being. And I have a more like doom and gloom <laughs> Um, approach to it because I, I think you know and both honestly, both are very fitting for Star Wars. They are, they are for sure. <laughs> I think the tribe is going to be going to be wiped out as a result of this confrontation with the Pikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Boba is off on his own in season two of Mandalorian, where we see him with nobody but him, you know, himself and eventually Fennec. Uh, where I feel like you know he's looking for some sort of either retribution or vengeance or something. Um, but that's my take. I, I feel like something tragic is about to happen with that Tuscan tribe that's going to push Boba into wanting to be this crime lord. I don't know. That's my take. Yeah, on the flip side of that, I feel like they end this episode in a very like upbeat way. So yeah, that is the type of like the type of way that Star Wars would go, right? Like get you feeling good, like they celebrate around a dance, like they dance around a fire. He goes on his own vision quest and becomes part of the tribe. They dress him in the robe. So like they're building up this bond only so that, you know, the pain is going to be so much more uh, when they do get killed. To me, it's like they're going to let him go on his own now and like bring those like what he's learned with him in his travels. And I feel like they'll he'll need to use the Tuscans as like reinforcements for whatever wars to come between him and the mayor slash the hut. Yeah, and and I hope that's the case. I just feel like the the film enthusiast in me is going back to like those classic Akira Kurosawa films of like redemption and and all that. Like um, I'm I'm thinking back to um the fortress, and I can't help but feel like Star Wars always pulls from that. So to me, I feel like 
Boba is going to get to a place where he sees that, you know, crime is as rampant as it is. And so the only way to fix it is to control it. And the only way to control it is to sit yourself on that throne. Um, but who knows? I Again, I want to be optimistic about it because I really am digging the Tusken Raider characters. And I wouldn't uh, be surprised if they do that because they did the same thing with Luke, right? Like the only way to push the um, the protagonist out the door is to give them a reason like, okay, your ships are burned. You now have to go. Like you now have to go on with the journey, right? Like they killed Luke's aunt and uncle. He had no reason to stay on Tatooine and go on. So I I could easily see them do that and i and i like the like the rationale that you provide there with um controlling the crime by being the one who's in charge uh because i i haven't worked out that bit like if they do survive and they just say like okay just you're you're free to go kind of thing why would he want more power like there's i haven't figured out like what would drive him to that right because we got a taste of his honorable side in mando season two but to me, and I don't know, again, I could be reading too much into it, but Mando, uh, sorry, Boba was already giving me a changed man vibe in Mando season two. So I felt like there was something, some sort of tragedy. The Sarlacc that, Pit would do that to you, though. That, that, could, that could be it, too, yeah. <laughs> a good couple hours in the Sarlacc, and we'll see. You'll have at least two life-reflecting moments in there. Um, or forever, because it depends. That thing, who knows how many people didn't survive that thing. Um. But yeah, like I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling it's gonna because you you mentioned that time and again Star Wars will hype up something only to like, you know, hit you with the feels. There, we got Force Awakens and then they slap us with the Last Jedi. <laughs> you know, so, the whole thing. <laughs> but half of that movie was brilliant. The other half, uh, yeah. But we definitely we definitely received that setup um, in this episode because I was you know emotionally happy at the end of this after he went on that vision quest. Um, and he comes back holding his stick for the gaffy stick to be built out of, and they dress him in robes and they tell him like, uh, they do like that ceremonial dance around the fire. And then they're all going, I was like, this is like a hype up here. I'm really excited. That, I, I love the whole aspect into like the look into just how he got those robes. Um, because honestly, like I'll be honest, the cynic in me, when I saw him in, in season two of Amanda was like, oh, he clearly murdered a couple of Tusken Raiders. <laughs> <laughs> it took the gaffy stick and the rifle. And no, like the backstory of it was actually, it has a lot of substance and I'm, I'm getting really, really hooked onto this. You know, and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. Cause honestly, like, you know, we can get a little bit into the predictions territory here, but I have no predictions. <laughs> Almost like in, like from season two in Mando, I am completely lost as to where we're going with this, and I have no problems with that. On the contrary, I I, I appreciate that. Yeah, the the trailer didn't really give that much away. Like the only thing left to be seen is him trying to hold a council with the rest of the like leaders of um, different groups, where he's trying to convince them like we need to, you know coexist and work together uh so that's the only thing we can like confidently predict on but we have no idea if that's going to be like a peaceful meeting or if that's going to be like okay this is all out war after this i guess one question for you because this is the one like a friend of mine asked me this question i've been contemplating it for a few days but do you think fennec shand has the potential of betraying boba at any point no I wouldn't think so either, because I feel like she seems like a, you know, kind of life debt situation, but totally fine with it kind of thing. But he brought up a point where he said that, you know, she's kind of like advising him and he's not taking her advice most of the time. And she seems to be pretty savvy as to, you know, what's going to be effective as, as a leader. And he's constantly being like, no, you know, thanks, but I'll do it my way kind of thing. And I wonder if this is like a Tyrion situation from Game of Thrones, where at some point he's going to be like, all right, well, you know, you're not taking my advice. You know, this this is kind of why we we keep ending up, you know, eating dirt, so to speak. No, I would see them um, like killing off her character before having her be like betray him so that she's not there to protect him later on. I hope she lasts for a while because I. Really I mean, I do too, her. but I, I don't see them being like betraying because he's not taking all of her advice. Like he didn't take her advice on, you know, 
showing power being carried in. And then she says, like, oh, well, it'd be easier if you just adapt to their ways. And then he does, like, the helmet polish thing. And he gets paid. And he goes, like, just, you know, just taking your advice now, like, in a different way. Like, it's not that he's ignoring her or, like, disrespecting her. I I love their dynamic. It's just, I feel like her betrayal, she's a bounty hunter, ultimately, right? And how many of them have that honor? I feel like a couple of them But she's, like, a good bounty hunter. Like, after seeing her in Bad Batch, like, you know she has, like, a moral compass. I guess so. I don't know. I'm just weary of of, of some of that, right? Because I feel like at some level, I'm waiting for the bounty hunters to all show up. (laughs) Um, And something, like, some sort of history being pulled into the forefront for her. Yeah. Which we have... Black Chrysanthemum here, so I'm 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 hoping we get to see Bosk, Dengar, what's his name, IG88, um, the original assassin droid there. Like I don't know, I I hope we get to see more of those. I thought he was a bartender now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did they turn him into that? No, no, or he I turned think, in from that. No, I think I think you're mixing up. Uh, I was gonna say IG11, but no, he's dead too at this point in time. Wasn't the bartender in A New Hope? Like, it wasn't actually a bartender. It was, like, serving... It had, like, drinks come out of oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he was... Uh, his head was part of the assembly for the... Yeah. Um, dispenser, right? I feel like that, that yeah. that's where they got... <laughs> that whole story is hilarious, though. Because when you think about it, like, they designed this robot out of spare parts built from a set. Right, and so these kids from the '80s latched onto it, and were like, "Oh, that's such a, that's such a cool-looking robot." Like, I, and from there, like, both him, Bosk, um, Boba Fett, all of them have gotten this like big uh, fan recognition over what is essentially kind of like shoehorned-in designs. Yeah, it just goes to show, like, there's so much in the Star Wars world that you can explore, and it's always going to have like. It's going to resonate with with a crowd. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think that kind of wraps up our... Our thoughts our of chapter two. Yeah, I'm excited for what we see um, next week. But, you know, it, it, it's going well for me. I don't know what half of the fandom is thinking and, like, bashing this show. And I told you, but, like, some of the... Like, I saw this... Um, I saw this review from Variety, which was criticizing it and saying it was a bore. And I was like, what show are you watching? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand those reviews. I mean, it definitely is a little bit slower paced uh, because you're only getting one action fight per episode. But to me, that's a very comfortable pace. It is, because otherwise the alternative would be they'll spend their budget on a huge action set pieces in the first half or second half of the season. And the other half has, you know, little to no substance. And over here, I feel like they're spending the money wisely here. Exactly. But yeah, I think, uh, I think we can cut it there. Um, We'll be back next week with chapter three. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 